0: Hello, everyone. I'm Angie Chan. And I'm Paul Kershaw. We're the hosts of Hard Truths, a podcast brought to you by Gen Squeeze about Canada's broken generational system and how to fix it. Today we're going to talk about the big D. Get your heads out of the gutter. We're talking about democracy, folks. Democracy. Paul, I think we have a lot we both want to say about democracy. Amen. Our values, our institutions, our Canadian version of democracy, the work needed to maintain, nurture, and evolve our democracy. This might be a roller coaster ride of emotion. Or, as Will Ferrell says on Anchorman, one of the best comedies ever, we might find ourselves in a glass cage of emotion. I don't want to spill all the beans, so Paul,
1: hard truth time. Well, this episode's hard truth is that we can't fix the broken generational system without rejuvenating democracy. Woo!
0: And have- democracy! Democracy! Okay.
1: <laughs> It's a cheerful thing, but it has me a bit bummed out. It actually had me (laughs) on the sofa over the weekend after having Jen Squeeze worked so hard during uh, the provincial election in Ontario, Canada's largest province. And we put a lot of time into trying to analyze platforms and help prospective voters make sense of the various promises that parties were putting on offer. And then after, fewer than one in two people showed up to cast a vote. And that definitely had me feeling discouraged because, you know, the squeeze facing younger generations and the challenge of some of our aging parents and grandparents who we love, who want to leave a proud legacy for their kids and grandchildren, like, we can't do that if democracy isn't working well for all generations. And fewer than one or two people showing up is not a sign of a healthy democracy in Canada.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. It was... Really shocking. I mean, we've heard about low turnout for elections before. This is not entirely surprised, but I think, what did you say it was? 41%? was.
1: I think it was 43%. It was a record low turnout in the history of the province of Ontario.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a new low. What do you think that low turnout reflects?
1: You know, I've been thinking about that quite a lot, and it had me harken back to a story told to me by a friend who inspires me. And She was sharing how, not that long ago, she was curled up on the floor one morning. The night before, two of her kids were sick, so she'd started the day exhausted and was rushing her three kids out the door to get to school. And then her toddler melts onto the floor, yanks off her shoes, and starts screaming at her mom for what? Putting on the wrong socks.
0: <laughs> I I literally just talked to a friend at work uh, with almost an identical story. But then it kind of
1: crept into something bigger. How can she pay for after school care? How will she afford housing? Is my kid ever going to be able to afford a home when she's older? And like, oh, my God, what about climate change? So it's like calming a sock tantrum sometimes feels pointless in the face of so many bigger problems. And I found myself thinking about that story again when I was despairing about democracy because it's like, oh, yeah, right. It's that, that's why we work so hard at Gen Squeeze, it's why we try and make democracy work better for all generations, why we try and influence the world of politics, because in that moment, when, you know, many, many moms and dads and, you know, others are just struggling with a range of things that are part of the squeeze. Challenge of raising kids, paying rent, um, paying for childcare, figuring out where you're going to hustle that next job when you have, like, precarious work. Like, Gen Squeeze exists in many ways to say, we've got your back. You're busy. There are big problems we individually cannot work our way out of. And so while you're busy trying to deal with the personal squeeze, we're going to try and fix the broken system. Yeah. And, and so and I had to pull my ass off the couch. I, to remember that was the purpose of what we're doing.
0: <laughs> it's okay to spend some time on the couch. We all need we all need to rest our butts. But thank you. Let's have a so this is a sofa session. That's what we're calling this episode. That's what we'll call it. Session. The
1: sofa session. <laughs> this is Paul's counseling session. Thank you very much for making me feel better. And I will f- stay on the sofa a little bit longer to hear more about how I'm doing
0: okay. Um I think you show a lot of compassion when you talk about how, you know, people are busy, but Gen Squeeze has the capacity to do a lot of this analytical work that we hope will be helpful. For folks to make decisions. I think an additional challenge, it feels like the world is way more complex. So like, you know, understand the science behind our vaccinations or uh, climate change. It all seems complicated. And the answer I think can't be, we all just need to spend way less time on Netflix and way more time trying to do the analysis on our own. And we can't all be experts on all things.
1: You well, that's really interesting. Then what I like about Gen Squeeze and why we work so hard during elections is we're not just a think tank, though, about like, what are the problems and what are the solutions? Like, we're a think and change tank. And so I am proud that Gen Squeeze steps up in this way and said, you know, we're going to produce this research. We're going to engage with other academics, you know, and, and see what's happening in terms of the evidence being produced in our lab and across the academy at universities in Canada and around the world. And then and then we can't just stop there we have to think about how do we bring it so that it influences the day-to-day in people's lives on these important issues around family affordability and housing and climate change and generational fairness and and so that's how i think about like how do we get the power of public opinion for that evidence i mean politics responds to those who organize and show up we need to empower the evidence in ways that gives politicians enough political cover to bravely act and there are moments in democracy where you, where citizens have influence. And key moments are elections, the day we cast the ballot, but also in how we're shaping what are the parties putting on offer to us? What are they prom- exactly. promising to us to earn our vote that day? And so Jen squeezes it like so desperately wanting to inspire people to know that those moments when people are designing the platforms and trying to woo their votes is a time that we can actually address the anxiety that the mom feels Mm -hmm. when facing the tenter tantrum and when others are struggling with other parts of the squeeze, whether it's their rent, their housing, their student debt, or what have you.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, the elections are, as you say, like really important moments to exercise a democratic responsibility. But by that point, what you're choosing between is already limited and well-defined for you. And it's that time in between the elections that Gen Squeeze and organizations like it are doing their good work in shaping what the issues are, the priorities are, and the potential options are that in the end kind of put on the table at election time. And I'm wondering if you have any comments on the work that's required in that time between elections.
1: Yeah, that's really great. When I think about... Going from, you know, the story of socks to then our story of like, we're working all our asses off, you know, on the entire election. I and mean, what we're trying to do is like, we use those assessments of the platforms to then go to the parties after the election and say, you know, if you want to do better the next time around, when you're trying to woo people's votes, you know, here's how you can improve your platforms. And so that's one way in which the org tries to be the think and the change tank. Because we need to not only put ideas out there, but we need to put it out there at the right times so that next time around people have a chance to vote, the platforms that are put on offer to them will be better.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I love that point. We know that like a big part of change is timing. And you don't know when the right time is. So um, you never know when an idea, big or small, will actually land. And so I think that Gen Squeeze has been... Uh, smart about you've been planting seeds for (laughs) over a decade now, hoping that if they get nurtured over time, they're going to grow into something. But you just don't know when it's going to grow.
1: I like that metaphor. Someone who's still sweating and probably has horse manure, cat urine, and chicken feces (laughs) all over him right now, and (laughs) dirt from the garden. Um, I'm like, yeah, we do planting seeds, and sometimes it takes a while. (laughs) Um, you're right. We are definitely planting a lot of seeds and at moments when the time is right, politics may respond, but that's the thing we can't do alone. We, we need our constituency to be involved in sharing the ideas and rallying troops. And at certain moments, you know, we need young and old alike to like turn up at the ballot box. And I literally don't care who the hell they voted for in the last election. Mm-hmm. But if they were going there thinking, I'm voting for the party that I think, you know, aligns with my values about generational fairness, then I'm like, that can make a difference in the medium term. But if people just say, I'm not showing up today, I'm too busy, or I don't care, or none of these parties are putting something on offer for me that I care about, then I really do worry. We are doomed to have housing unaffordability continue. It'd be really challenging for the generation raising young kids and everyone dealing with the very risky repercussions of climate change yeah yeah
0: and then yeah jump in there because you know i'm
1: i'm off the couch and now i'm on a soapbox
0: (laughs) there are a couple of things that i wanted to touch on and so i'm still trying to like square the circle of sort of the rational decision making and the irrational decision making and we as humans i think we all make decisions in both ways um and so i think if i understand jen squeeze's theory of change right it's using evidence and information to change hearts and minds and i wonder if when i think about a a sustainable change and one that brings everybody along with it and not alienate people with change it requires the hearts and minds of all. Um, And so I'm just wondering if you can maybe talk about how you try to achieve that. Well, one, I think
1: that you're so clever in talking about, you know, there's changing policy and there's changing hearts and minds. And Jen Squeeze definitely thinks we're in the business of doing both. And in fact, to change policy, we often think we have to change hearts and minds first. There's this great book called The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. It's a scholar in the States. And um, he'll point out that actually, you know, it's it's so many of our reactions to things first come from, you know, from our heart, you know, from our like intuitive reactions emotionally in the light of our values. And then afterwards, we rationalize it. That's how human beings evolved. And so that's how our brains work. So I, I think that you know, there's a range of examples you can talk about that, you know, changing hearts and minds was so important. So Gen Squeeze certainly wasn't the first and we didn't ultimately lead work on pricing pollution. We led the intergenerational climate coalition into the Supreme Court, uh, you know, as part of like a much, much larger movement to put a price on pollution. And changing hearts and minds was really critical there for because for a long time, that was like a wedge issue in Canadian politics. And so it meant the moment that we had an election, there wasn't a risk if the party in power changed that you could lose the price on pollution. Indeed, that's part of the reason we went to the Supreme Court and we were wanting to argue that it's constitutional to have this price on pollution. But in the most recent federal election, enough hearts and minds in Canada had changed that all political parties put on offer that their platforms would support a price on pollution because they realized that's where the majority of the electorate was at. And it wasn't now a wedge issue any longer in quite the same way. So it puts much more protection in place for the policy change. And I think in the same way, whether you know the hearts and minds on childcare, when I first started proposing it, Gen Squeeze $10 day childcare and you know, groups like the Coalition of Childcare Advocates took that on, I would be doing radio shows and people would call in and, and say, you know, why the heck do we need to have inexpensive childcare for people today? I didn't have that when I was raising my kids some decades ago. And that's where the language of the squeeze started, like, okay, but young people today, they have to go to school longer and pay more for the privileged gen. jobs that pay less and they face way higher housing prices. Their hard work's not paying off like it used to. So you need more ear parents in the past by comparison to the past, not to mention gender equality. And so we need these things now in a way that we didn't in the past. And it took a while to set those seeds, but hearts and minds now... Have weighed in enough where like in the Ontario election, every party was supporting the idea of $10 day childcare because it's now the hearts and minds of the majority mean that regardless what party you're going to vote for, that's something they're looking for. That's how you, that's how you enculture policy change in addition to institutionalizing it in Policy. And so just while well, I'm still in my soapbox, that's why housing is so critical right now. For the longest time, we got, we've, I think we've won people's hearts and minds saying, yes, housing unaffordably hurts young people, but we hadn't turned their hearts and minds to the generational tension, the fact that those who got in the housing market earlier are getting wealthier. And I think the moment that, you know, our deputy prime minister said housing is an intergenerational injustice mm-hmm. is a signal like, ah, now we're turning the corner on that part of the hearts and minds change.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think one of the important things that you're raising here in both the child care example and the housing example is that the work of getting that language into everybody's minds and, and just normalizing it, that's part of the culture change that you were referring to as well. Um, I think we do that well. And then when we say, but who should you be annoyed
1: with or angry with or blame? We don't blame The easiest suspects, and I think that, you know, in the early days of our work on housing, for instance, we're like, let's be up, let's do stuff about foreign buyers and people who have empty homes and speculators and so on, and and a range of work has happened on that front, and we continue to reinforce it, but we're saying it's not enough because actually there's a broad range of regular everyday canadians who are implicated in this as homeowners and so we invite people to look in the mirror and ask how might you be implicated and then if you think about our broader generational analysis you know we're saying hey an older demographic you worked hard you paid taxes all your life but there's some you know not so good parts of the legacy that you're leaving behind like how can we look ask, invite you to look in the mirror and, and think you hey, might be part of this so that you know there's more to do now um, and i think that the moment we start turning <laughs> Our work into a mirror where we ask all of ourselves to gaze at the way we might be implicated in some of these intergenerational tensions in a broader inter- dysfunctional intergenerational system is the moment you're like getting people I'm leading away or more than that I might tell you to f off. And so I think that that's I've been saying that I think we're Gen squeeze 3.0 and in Gen squeeze 2.0 we tried to maybe manage that balance a little bit differently like we tried to like where are people at what what are the easy things they want to work on where they can feel good about it and they don't have to like look in the mirror mm-hmm. but I kind of found like after three or four or five years of doing that we're like we're doing all this other important stuff but it's not it's not actually getting at the hard part it's not getting at what really is hurting and so right now I think there's a new level of either recalcitrance or bravery that we're like we're focusing on what's hard to do right now <laughs>
0: Yeah, I and I wonder if that even mirrors maybe I, I hate this word because it's so overused. But like the journey that an individual might have to go through too is like, mm, okay, I'm I heard this thing. It's about generations, and you know, people you know people might not be doing so well as they did before, and then it comes to well, let me see what the easy things to do are because I'm an quote unquote <laughs> ally, and then. And then nice. nothing changes and then uh, they're like shit um i gotta look in the mirror nope and they're out so- <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh that's a that's lovely <laughs> i think though that's like yeah that's a not a bad metaphor for us and at the same time though the the work of changing hearts and minds we we do need to push people to think about how can we be the best versions of ourselves as citizens in this country worried about are we you know are we good stewards protecting what's sacred for those who are going to follow are we are we doing all we can so we you know we're being <clears throat> There's reciprocity between us and who's come before us, so we can be loyal and appreciative, and at the same time, making sure we're not passing on unfair bills to those who follow in our footsteps. And are we planning for young and old alike? Are we planning for all ages, though, today and into the future? And and, and I say, well, it can be hard work to look at ourselves and saying, are we taking personal responsibility to be these intergenerational citizen um and at moments you know we might not like what we see but the moment we lean into that and we see the parts of the mirror where i guess you know we could comb our hair intergenerationally better um (laughs) and slap on some bitter intergenerational whatever the metaphor is here i'm blowing it totally <laughs> but um you know the moment you lean into that, like that is heroic like there are big problems out here and leaning into the mirror to see how we might be implicated in the intergenerational system that's contributing so mightily those problems is actually very heroic citizenry work
0: um i i guess i would also offer like when it comes to hearts and minds change that's a really weird phrase hey? um the I changing like it. of hearts and uh, minds hearts and minds change i don't know um <laughs> but um there's um the adoption of new language that helps to do that hearts and minds change maybe i'm just speaking for myself um there's also just information and new perspectives and learning about those that i think also helps just to for the ideas to sink in ruminate and become part of of one's mindset and thinking and then i think the other piece that's really important and i don't want to treat this superficially but it is that like making friends the network i think of supporters the when we talk about having a groundswell of people working together on some things like maybe the change is small and it is just like talking to your neighbor and making one friend at a time
1: oh that's good And I think it's critical. That's part of the diffusion. Like we need to shape opinion. If we're going to have enough public opinion, causing all political parties to want to get it right for all generations, we need to spread the word. And so people can actively contribute to change even amid their busy lives by at moments over drinks or with friends having that interesting conversation. Maybe at certain moments, vulnerable conversation about this generational system that might not be working so well. And then know that the spreading of opinions is great, but at certain moments we need somebody to say, I'm for something. I'm for that change over there. Like I'm part of that group calling for that solution. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's a kind of bravery in citizenship that I don't think we celebrate enough so that's why i'm wanting to resist a little bit like we might think it's clicktivism to sign a a petition online but for a group like jen squeeze when they then go into halls of power on parliament hill or to queens park or to victoria or any other provincial capital being able to showcase there are people calling for this empowers the evidence if we're just putting the evidence out there it's got little power if we can show a posse calling for the evidence to be acted on that's power and so i want people to know that saying even quietly clicking on a petition saying signing up at other times saying more loudly and proudly i stand for this or i support that solution that's a big deal of citizenship that's what it means to rejuvenate democracy democracy can't just be casting a vote behind some box where no one sees what you did At a certain moment, democracy, there are big problems going on, and we can only fix them by making democracy work, which means we're going to stand up
0: and let people know what we stand for. Yeah, yeah. Paul, I think what you're starting to raise is that democracy and active citizenry requires transparency and vulnerability and disagreement, uh, open disagreement. But if we have the strength in relationships to bear that kind of disagreement, we can actually move forward. But I How to disagree without we're... becoming disagreeable? <laughs> disagreement for the greater good. Um... Oh, I like that even better. <laughs> okay, but honestly, it's like, if we're in it together, truly, and not just, you know, an easy online petition that we sign, but truly feeling like we're in it together and that we understand each other's challenges in life, that also begins to change hearts and minds and actually make it much easier for us to to give and take and share from people. Well,
1: I sure like the language, we're in it together. And there's this interesting distinction made between we're in it together, and it's more than just like signing a petition online. And, you know, it brings us back to a theme that I, I didn't think the Hard Truths podcast would be constantly about love. <laughs> um but just you know it it's what we have going for us is like we are in it together like our parents and grandparents love us we love our parents and grandparents families are in it together and if we can like bring that that same love and that same emotion into rejuvenating democracy making the world of politics work for all generations we've got so much to work with
0: uh, i think i okay so just a, just a quick step back which is i love that uh that we can lean on each other because i think we're going to have good days and bad days and I, I might be on a, I don't think I'm on a bad day right now. I think I'm trying to get more and more realistic about stuff. But when we ask people to be living in solidarity with other generations, what are we asking of them? I think it requires sacrifice. And hmm. and, it like, and I mean that not like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a more plant forward diet. Um, I don't think that goes quite far enough in terms of the kind of change that we're talking about. Oh, my goodness. That is the most un-Angie-like question you've ever asked. I know. Good
1: Lord. We need need to send you that tequila and get (laughs) you some good tea. And now we're putting you on the sofa. Um, I know. (laughs) So no 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 so I'm going to I'm going to try and counter counter Angie bad day and okay. set Angie back on track. Look, people are complicated and I think there are moments when we regress to, you know, the less, you know, the, the not best version of ourselves and at other moments we definitely want to pursue these higher values. People are driven by values values whether you know values around freedom, values around choice, values around liberty, values around care and not harming people, values around loyalty and not betraying, values about protecting what's sacred and not degrading things. These are things that even those we you might wildly disagree with, they will hold on to values that actually they'll spouse in much that way. And so I I do think that you know we're complex And sometimes, you know, systems can reinforce our looking inward and being sort of self-centered and self-interested and sort and so on. But at other moments, the systems can incentivize us to to be more outward. And I think, you know, Angie Chan, is it a sacrifice to ask people to leave at least as much as they inherited? Is it a sacrifice to ask people to steward what they thought was important, like a good childhood or a good home or a safe plan, and make sure that those things don't get left for those who follow? Is it a sacrifice to say, hey, pay for what you want to use? And if you're actually doing relatively well, how about making an investment in the future? I don't think so. I think actually if you think about how you think as a mom, Angie, you do that all the time for your kids. Are you worried about whether or not your kids are going to have more than you do? No, quite the opposite. I think you're going to feel successful as a mom if that's what you give your kids. I think people are hardwired to think that way in our family. So why can't we bring that to the world of politics? Answer is we can, but we do need to make democracy work better for all generations. And when then you then i have to go back on the sofa because when you see like a voter turnout of like 43 percent in canada's largest province you're like we are effing effed um (laughs) because we can't solve these generational problems individually we we have to have a well-functioning democracy and if fewer than one in two people show up that's not a well-functioning democracy
0: yes but doesn't isn't that like are we both now on the sofa because like I'm
1: back up. I'm back. That was a bad. low moment. I'm back up. I was on the sofa for 3 days after the Ontario election, but I'm off my knees. Okay,
0: cuz I was going to say like it's going to be a sad one, but I do I think you're absolutely right. This is like th- the intergenerational equity work is it is about making democracy work better and like all signs point to not a great outlook for democracy. Like what is our national project right now? What is, our, um, what is our positive alternate vision? Other than like, let's manage resources better, boo. You know, like, who, what, are we, what are we doing together? I'll give you one example. I'll, I'll tell the COVID story from two different angles. Okay. <clears throat> the risk of dying from COVID disproportionately affects the oldest people in our society and has the almost vanishingly low risk for people who are younger. And the educational and economic effects and risks disproportionately affect our younger generations. And what was asked of the world, and there were pockets of people who balked at this violently, but in general, the world all came together and said, we're going to Follow these public health measures. We're gonna get vaccinated. We're gonna get our economy back on track. Blah blah blah. And in and those steps and those decisions protected the old and fucked up the young. And on the one hand, you could be like, Yo, this is an excellent example of intergenerational solidarity, where everybody, but really the burden fell on younger generations to protect older. I think I think we. We did a great job at protecting and also now unearthing a lot of um, problems within our long-term care system. And now we're plowing strategy and resources into improving those systems. That's great. But the other story is at the end of it, what we heard was old people thought young people weren't going to do their job and that they're actually going to go out on the beach and have parties and spread COVID and put old people at risk. And then young people are like, yo, for you guys, I'm going to be apart from my social circles. I'm going to stall, you know, building relationships with people. I got fired from my job because nobody can go shopping. Like, there are two stories here. And I think depending on where you land or maybe your perspective on like how cohesive we're working as a society, there's like a good solidarity story and a bad solidarity story. And I am I like fall in the bad solidarity story because I don't think the good solidarity story actually reflected um, an intention to protect different generations. I think it was like, well, we're going to just do this thing and the outcomes become the outcomes. I, I, that was like such a huge rant. <laughs> but... No, 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 oh
1: no, we, 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 we have to engage on okay, this.
0: Okay, I just, I hope it was clear because I'm just like, I'm just going to go.
1: <laughs> There's something really powerful about how you just characterized the two versions of the intergenerational solidarity or the two intergenerational experiences of the pandemic. And, and I think in some regards, you're kind of caricaturing the two takes. So that's how I'm interpreting you. But I think that the caricatures of the two takes are actually really powerful. So on the one hand... I think that the degree to which Canada made massive two-year adaptations, which disproportionately we know was important for the aging family members that we love, Canadians then kicked into like, okay, they're deserving. We need to protect them, and you know Canadians are actually good at that, and we should take pride in that. I think that's an example of a lovely moment of intergenerational solidarity. What's so vexing is that more than two years later and as we're in a different phase of the pandemic the range of adaptations made by younger people little kids having their schooling thwarted, having their opportunity to play thwarted, having opportunity to be part of sports thwarted, to parents having to suddenly become at-home laborers and parents and school teachers with no access, especially in cities to the outdoors, and doing it all in those cramped conditions. And that's just, you know, on top of then what was happening to people financially, and is their rent being put at risk or the challenge of paying their mortgage? Are they losing their jobs, as you said? So such a large economic social and psychological weight put on a younger demographic, you would have hoped at this moment, there would be a political party, or a government, or for that matter, the Canadian Association of Retired Persons, or just the older family members in our lives saying, thank you. And more than that, wow, given this important intergenerational commitment that a younger demographic just made to us to help fight off the spread of COVID that was so potentially harmful for an older demographic. Can we now think about how we might adapt what we're doing to address some of the challenging parts of our legacy? What can, How can we double down on fighting climate change? Maybe we will get on fewer cruises and planes, um, you know, which have such a large impact in terms of their carbon. Or how might we be like, yeah, we're going to accelerate our commitment to paying for pollution, or we're going to be willing to say... Wow, you know what? We now know we want more medical care going forward. Did we prepay for all of that enough? Have we put in enough? How might we tap into some of the wealth we've accumulated, say, through our housing, to make sure that we're paying for these things that we want rather than leaving the bills for our kids and grandchildren? And speaking of those grandchildren, I'm sure darn glad that we are investing in $10-day a childcare. Let's make sure that happens as quickly as it possibly can because my grandkids just got hammered during the pandemic and I could go on. So that, it's not, I don't think it's a problem that during the pandemic, a younger demographic stepped up and showed solidarity with the family members and the older citizens in our lives who we love and respect. What we're missing is the reciprocity. Yes. The second principle of intergenerational fairness, that reciprocity. And I just, that's why then we need to fall back on the couch and be frustrated.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think the reciprocity, it it has not materialized. That's for sure. Um, and
1: can I can I go back on the sofa one yes. more time? I I was so fundamentally wrong one year into the pandemic. I thought you know this is really shitty. There are so many things that are going wrong for people right now, and this is hard and harmful, and frightening. But I imagine the silver lining would be, this is going to be akin to like what it was in World War II, you know, when people were mobilizing and going and making big sacrifices. And they did so, though, alongside where we saw that our governments were doing this and leading on behalf of us, doing things we hadn't imagined possible before, delivered collectively. And so I thought there's going to be a renewed faith in what we can do collectively together, what we do through public policy, what we do through our governments. But I'm, you know, you know, two years now after the pandemic started, a little more than that, I don't see that renewed faith in government. In fact, I just see increased disdain or, you know, thinking that it's unimportant, whether it's the voter turnout or, you know, just looking at polling results for some of, you know, the federal government. And this is in no way a plug for a party. But I mean, the federal government just during the pandemic reduced the poverty levels in this country more than we'd ever seen before. Uh, and that was as a part of a commitment to try and make people financially as whole as possible during a shutdown in our country. Like, these are massive things that we did. We mobilized vaccines. We, we actually did keep our healthcare system not only afloat, but you know, managing to fend off illness for so many people. Why doesn't that make us enormously proud of our institutions and say, wow, I understand why politics matters? I understand why government, I might not like this party running government, but I get why government is important. And that actually isn't the legacy of COVID-19.
0: Yeah. you mean like this has been like a bit of a lost opportunity to point to hmm. all the ways that we've come together without making it sound um like just some platitude, which sometimes it sounded like, you know, we're going to like come together and do this thing, but
1: Hmm. Well, now then I'm going to look in the mirror and say like that is primetime Gen Squeeze territory. Then we failed by not actually taking up the mantle and drawing people's attention to this and saying, "Hey, this isn't a moment necessarily to be focusing on easing the squeeze on younger Canadians, but just look what we're doing right now and let's be proud. Mm-hmm. Like let's be impressed about what we're accomplishing collectively together." Let's be impressed that you might not have voted for this particular party leader. Um, But nevertheless, they're delivering some important things. Could it be better? You bet. But sometimes we can't let the best be the enemy of good enough. And I'm having to adapt as quickly as we did. There was a lot of good enough going on in Canada. Yeah.
0: You know what, though? I also have um, a crazy recency bias as well. So. I, I think like right now, like like all the anti-vaxxers and I do remember in those early months and first year and like, holy shit, like we are doing this people. And we, we were coming together and we were all talking about this thing we were doing together. So I just wanna, I just wanna make sure that that's on our record <clears throat> that I'm not just- A- Angie
1: Chan, not always so skeptical. <laughs>
0: That's my tagline.
1: <laughs> there you go. Well, first off, like I do work in the School of Population and Public Health where like many of the leading scientists, at least in British Columbia, were working their tails off as people were fighting COVID. So I'll take my hat off and acknowledge all of them there who are amazing colleagues and so brilliant and keeping people healthy and safe. Um, but I also want to say back to Angie, not always so skeptical, is this is a part of the hard work of citizenship where we we are all falling down and because the proportion of people who are anti-vaxxers, first off, is is a small number. The proportion of people supportive of those who are in the quote-unquote freedom convoy is a small number. And I, I don't like their messages, and I will challenge the way in which they articulate their values. I don't think that they're actually into freedom in the way they are. I don't think they have a, an impoverished understanding of what freedom means. But, man, they are organizing showing up. But in the rest of the country, you know, we are not, where where are we in terms of standing up and saying, yeah, politics matters and politics responds to those of us who organize and show up. And are we signaling enough what we want?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: You know, we've talked today about being on the sofa and, and just sort of sharing those fears and that nervousness. And to be honest, there's a moments where you might think that, oh, like wallowing in that kind of doom and gloom space is like a problem. But I think, actually, if we're going to do the hard work to rejuvenate the democracy, which is what we need to do to fix the broken systems, whether it's racism, classism, sexism, or a broken intergenerational system, we have to recognize, like, wow, we need to be worried when democracy doesn't work. Yeah. And we need to be encouraging our friends and family and other, other people in our lives to be worried about it if they're not yet worried enough at certain moments. And so democracy does matter when... When we're scared about inflation or we're scared about what's happening in our families, we're scared about what's happening in the planet, we can't fix those things alone. In our system, we can only fix it through democracy. So it's okay to be feeling discouraged when it doesn't work. And whether we live in Ontario or not, we should not be proud to be a Canadian at a moment where it's become normalized for our largest province to send fewer than one or two people to cast a ballot.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think you're totally right. And I think, you know, if we were to go back to where we started from with... Um, your friend that had to deal with the toddler with the tantrum, it's that if we are in it together, we can be strong and we can be vulnerable and we can rest and we can cheer. Like we can take breaks. You you know what I mean? Like sometimes we can, sometimes we can't, but if we can count on someone else to stand up when we need to take a break on the sofa, that's a real strength. That's, that's love. Um, I think I want to... That's a wrap. I think that's a wrap. Thank, thank you so much. Also, also, Paul, we have been...
1: Such oh, jerks.
0: Such jerks. Like, it's embarrassing. We have never thanked our incredible producer, Megan Wilde. We shall be doing this from here on out. In sport. Yes, to make up for this crime. Um, For everyone else listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Please do follow us on all the social medias. And um, otherwise, send us your thoughts on info at gensqueeze.ca. Until next time. Bye.